This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week. She will be back on Monday. There seems to be a lot of confusion around the second wave of COVID-19. Are you confused and why? The numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm sure there were many conversations around dinner tables on Monday when we got the number that there were 700 new cases in the province of Ontario, with many of us saying, didn't we have numbers almost that high back in the spring when the economy was basically shut down? Why now is the economy not shut down? We're going to try to get to the bottom of these questions because these are the questions we are all asking and talking about with our friends. And by the way, again, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. You've likely also heard on Zoomer Radio News that in Montreal and in the Quebec City area, restaurants, the Theaters, casinos, and bars are shut down as of today for at least 28 days because of climbing virus numbers. Today, 933 cases and 16 related deaths in the province of Quebec. So joining us on the line to start to clear up some of this confusion is Dr. Barry Pakes, professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. Dr. Pakes, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us what is leading to the confusion around the second wave, even if we're in a second wave, and its seriousness. Well, um, I mean, I think some of the confusion is just about the name uh, of, you know, a wave. So, you know, we, we had certainly a large number of cases back in the spring, and it went down over the summer, and, and we've always known it was going uh, back up. And the thing about a wave is it's got two sides, the going up and the going down. And, and maybe some of the reluctance to think of it as a wave is because we, we don't exactly know when we're going to be on the other side of it. Um, and, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to know when we're, when we're in it. Maybe two weeks ago or even a week ago, it was hard to know how high or what direction we were going in. And I think it's pretty clear that we're in the second wave right now. So there shouldn't be any confusion about that. Are we in the second wave only in the COVID-19 hotspots? What's the definition around that? So here in Toronto, where we have half of the cases in Ontario, we would be in a second wave. And yet we heard Peel's medical officer of health say yesterday that Peel region, Brampton and Mississauga are not in a second wave. So, uh, you know, again, this is where um, we don't we have medical definitions for a lot of things in public health and and we don't necessarily have one for for a wave. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it'd be useful to sort of, you know, go in depth into why uh, we're considering it in Toronto and not necessarily in Peel. I think the important thing is that we are most certainly seeing an increase in cases and in many different settings. And what that means, as everyone really knows, is that we're going to have to be rolling back or 
I prefer to think about it as, um, you know, targeting certain interventions going forward that, that are going to make things look a little bit more like it did, um, you know, back in the spring, but not entirely. Oh, so give us your opinion on that then. So, you know, what we did back in the spring and what the whole planet did really was, was shut down entirely. And we did that because we didn't really know and we didn't have experience with how COVID transmits. And, and really, we didn't have experience with how shutting down our entire economies and our social lives um, would impact things and what elements were important and what weren't. And I think now that we've all had that experience, we've had it in Ontario and we, we are, you know, public health um, uh, folks like myself look uh, to other countries as well. We know some of the things that make a difference. And so that's where we're going to target our efforts. And we know some of the things are, are not going to impact things at all in terms of the virus, but are really impactful on our lives. And we're not going to do those things going forward. So some of those things would be what's been done over the last week, um, lessening the hours late at night in restaurants and bars, closing strip clubs, uh, those kinds of things. Exactly. So, you know, the, the general principles are that we know that in controlled environments where we have you know, for example, a workplace where there's someone responsible for that workplace. We know who the employees coming in and out are. And, and we know some of the things that we need to do. And we've been doing them for many months now. Or schools where, you know, there are, there are teachers, there are principals, there are um, processes and procedures in place. And even in places like retail where there are, um, you know, we need to wear masks there. And the retail folks have put signs on the floor where we need to be. Those are controlled environments that, that we know that we can to some degree, um, keep those places open for the time being and just making sure that those public health measures are in place. And then there's other, there's other contexts that are, don't have those things, you know, um, you know, some going out in malls or parties in our backyard or, you know, other social gatherings, or as you mentioned, you know, strip clubs and and some restaurants where it's, it's more difficult to do those things. Um, and, and they may be more discretionary, although some people, if, certainly if I'm a restaurant owner, I'm not going to feel that's discretionary at all. But, but um, more discretionary things, also things where there are larger numbers, those are the things that we're going to have to cut back on first. We're speaking with Dr. Barry Pakes, professor at the University of Toronto's Dalatlana School of Public Health, about confusion around the second wave. If you would like to weigh in or ask the doctor a question, one of his colleagues will be joining us here in a few minutes as well. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. So what I'm getting from you, Dr. Pakes, is the reason we had to basically shut everything down back in April, March, April, May, is because we were, as individuals, as a community, not well-versed in how to deal with the guidelines around the pandemic. And now we've become individual mini-experts in a way, so some stuff can stay open because we know how to act within those uh, within those businesses. Absolutely. That, that's a big part of it. So we, we know what we need to do. And, and in addition to that, over the past couple of months, we actually have gotten more used to doing it. And, and that's really important as well. The, re- the social piece of it, you know, it, it's not unusual anymore that everybody has masks. And, and back in the spring, it certainly was. And we weren't always remembering to keep one with us. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, many people talk about the new normal. Um, and I think we've gotten somewhat used to it. The big challenge, of course, is that the what is normal, it needs to continuously change as we 
um, as we are in a different place in the pandemic and also as we understand more. And that's, that's what certainly can cause some confusion for people because what they need to do is different this week than last week. Let's talk about this whole theory around waves. Uh, and you said what's important to look at is where we are on the wave. So if you could uh, give us a definition of what the first wave looked like in terms of the months of this past year and the second wave and where we are on it on October 1st. Sure. So, um, you know, the waves typically and in most countries, they 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 they, um, they, you know, rise very quickly. So, you know, the way all infectious diseases work or most infectious diseases is that, you know, one person gets them and from that person, another, you know, one or two people get it and that, from that person, another one or two, and it goes up really exponentially. So, uh, you know, the wave has a very steep curve going up and then, you know, we get to some point and we say, you know what, enough is enough. Our, our hospitals overwhelmed, you know, um, there's a lot of anxiety um, people are dying, um, our case rates are going up, and we put in these measures, and then, you know, it gradually goes down. And you saw in the spring, it, it you know, the, the number of cases went very quickly up, the number of deaths went very quickly up. We shut everything down, and not surprisingly, you know, the number of cases and deaths went down, um, you know, reasonably quickly, not as quickly as they went up, but they went down. And then we moved into different phases of the pandemic. And as we went into different phases and opened up some things, the number of cases went up a little bit again, and then we got used to the things we need to do. So, you know, the first thing was workplaces open. We, we saw outbreaks in workplaces, and we, uh, the public health units, local public health units managed those and then better understood how to, how to prevent those. And then we opened up sort of retail, and then we, we had a little bit of an increase as well there, and we understood what we need to do uh, to prevent outbreaks in those settings as well. And then, you know, over the summer, for a variety of reasons, the number of cases went down quite significantly. And then, you know, we moved into stage three, um, you know, later in August. And then with more things open, um, you know, there were more cases in the community, but those rose much more slowly because of all the protections we had. Because of the masking, the distancing, hygiene, and all the structural changes, cases rose slowly, slowly, slowly. And now, you know, we, we opened up quite a bit more. And as the fall came, you know, there's this, that multiplier effect where we are now, where we're kind of around the 500 uh, case mark and, and we're, we need to shut things down again. So that, that's really what things look like. So we had this sort of steep wave, went down in fits and starts um, to a nice low level. And now we're back on the upswing again. And, and uh, you know, what everybody hopes is that we're going to get to a peak at some point and, and start heading back down. But I don't think we're we're quite there yet. Would the peak be based on uh, the modeling number information we've been receiving this week uh, of the thousand cases a day that are expected around the middle of this month? Would that be seen as the top of the wave? We would hope so. But it, it really, again, does depend on on how we all respond. And it, it's not just about how governments respond or how public health responds or how the health care system responds, but it's really about how all of us, you know, respond to things. You know, we've got, we've got uh, Thanksgiving coming up and Halloween coming up, and that can be you know, potentially people getting together, be drivers of infection. Um, and there are lots of other things that are, are really dynamic in every society that determine when that maximum is going to be. And the, the models give us a good sense of how things could progress given a few different scenarios. And it's up to us to, 
to to uh, make sure we hit the lowest predicted model there. Dr. Pakes, your colleague has joined us, Dr. Dion Alleman, professor at the University of Toronto and expert on pandemic modeling. Dr. Alleman, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, I spoke to Dr. Pakes about this uh, before you joined us. Uh, your take on what's leading to the confusion around the second wave and its seriousness. Well, I think a lot of the confusion has to do with the fact that the province doesn't really seem to be taking very rapid and stringent measures to contain uh, the growth that we're seeing. So it's easy for someone who's just, you know, looking at uh, what the province is doing to say, well, the province isn't doing all that much. So clearly things must not be that bad. Um, or there, maybe they're looking at uh, only uh, the number of deaths and seeing that the number of deaths uh, isn't really increasing all that much and thinking, therefore, things must not actually be that bad. But certainly that's not the case. You can look at uh, the um, the infections or the percent positivity and our testing rates and see that we are very clearly in the throes of the second wave. Now, as Ontario residents, we've never been told specifically the criteria on what would trigger lockdowns. Uh, they just came along uh, and at at the beginning, we were locked down completely, and then we were all sort of looking for criteria about when we would go into phase two and phase three. We were never actually given any specifics, but just sort of a sense that we were ready to go to the next level. Now, in reverse, is the confusion about criteria leading to sort of this general questioning of what exactly is going on with the second wave? Yeah, I think that that could also be part of it. Um, and I also think that the lack of established criteria um, also makes it difficult for the province to uh, to know when to put their foot down, to know when a line has been crossed, when to roll back from phase three to phase two to phase one. Um, you know, it, it's very easy to get caught up in the inertia of everything. Like we've opened things up, schools are back open, people are feeling a sense of normalcy. Um, it's very easy to just want to kind of turn a blind eye to what's happening with the infections because, you know, people are, you know, resuming uh, in a lot of ways uh, normalcy in their lives and you don't want to just take that away. You want to say, well, let's wait and see what happens tomorrow or tomorrow. Or what if we just say uh, that uh, indoor gatherings have to be a little bit smaller? Let's try that. Whereas if, you know, there were very clear established criteria, then the province would know when these trigger points have been hit and they would be able to immediately um, just jump in and change something rather than being conflicted by, you know, lots of uh, competing interests. So why why wouldn't we have that at this stage? Or do we have it, but we're just not being told by the premier and his ministers and advisors uh, what that criteria actually is? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, we in the public haven't been told any of that information and just judging by how phases have been, you know, rolled out and uh, reopenings have happened. It's it's easy to believe that there's no clear criteria, but no one's ever said anything uh, to the public. And so unless you're, you know, literally in the room when these decisions are being made, uh, we have no idea why they're being made, when they're being made or how they're being made. So we can only guess. Dr. Pegs, well, you want to weigh yeah. in on that? Well, I mean, as someone who's in the room uh, and has been in the room in, in many, in a, a few different contexts, um, there, uh, the reason we don't have sort of strict and hard and fast criteria, percent positivity or number of cases and, or number of deaths, is that it's, it's an incredibly dynamic um, environment that we're in. So there's, you know, there's, there's these big picture things like schools, workplaces, social contacts, long-term care facilities, 
each one of them, you know, I can tell you that at both the Ministry of Health, Public Health Ontario, and the local public health units, everyone is, is you know, 18-hour days and really um, aware of the urgency of the situation that's going on. And, and even though it may not seem um, that, you know, dramatic and decisive action is being taken, it, it, it literally is every day, certainly every day in the past two weeks. Um, and, you know, the, the strict, the, the sort of simplicity of strict criteria gives us actually, you know, it, it constrains us and means that, you know, we're forced to act in a way or maybe forced to act in a way or explain why we didn't when that may not be the best thing to do. So certainly having ballpark ranges of things and, and there are certainly, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, cases in schools or when it comes to workplaces or what comes to percent positivity or the percent of cases that are travel related versus unknown versus um, in in other contexts. You know, there are ballpark numbers that we are constantly uh, looking at to to understand what's going on in the population and the the best thing to do in response. Dr. Pakes, I just want to back up to the beginning of what you were saying there. Are you actually at the command table with Dr. Uh, Williams? No, I am, no, I am not. Okay. So, so I, I, I am a program director at the, at the School of Public Health, and I, I have worked in, in, including recently, in local public health. And so, um, you know, I, I'm uh, involved in many different ways, um, and I know some of the discussions that are, are, are going on. Um, and I know that they're involving many, you know, um, uh, researchers as well as public health practitioners, um, and, and at all different levels of government as well. Um, and, and I just know, you know, I, I think characterizing it as, as people uh, at, at, in these organizations um, are not taking this seriously or not taking decisive action. I, I can tell you definitely that that is, that is not true there. Uh, and I think that's, you know, very clear from both the premiers, um, uh, uh, news conferences and, and some things the chief medical officer and, and others, uh, mainly the, the medical officer's health of, of Toronto, of Peel, as you just mentioned, um, they're very, you know, involved, concerned, and, and their staff is, is, you know, still working really, uh, incredibly hard, um, at managing the pandemic right now. So those concerns... Uh, if I might just uh, yes, jump in just a quick response, I sure. just want to clarify my position a little bit. Um, I have absolute faith in the uh, the dedication and um, um, capacity and uh, competency of our public health um, agencies, um, all the units across the province and public health Ontario uh, at large. I'm just not sure um, how much of the recommendations are... Um, being followed uh, when it actually comes time for the rubber to hit the road in policymaking and in making hard decisions about rolling back reopening. And I think, again, if uh, the public at least had an idea of these ballpark um, figures that you would be looking at to uh, to instigate a rollback of uh, reopening, then that would help us, um, I guess you could say, maybe uh, hold our you know provincial leaders uh, to account as to whether or not they're actually following the advice and suggestions that are that are being given by public health. Well, Dr. Alleman, I'm not actually in the room when decisions are made, so I don't know how much is or isn't being followed. Well, you say we need to look deeper than the daily number of new infections to make a case for shutting down parts of the economy. So we need to look at the number of deaths, the hospitalizations and the percent of uh, percentage of the positive cases of the virus. Can you break that down for us? Is that for me? Yes. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, definitely there, there are so many numbers um, that, that you can look at and so many lenses that you can view the pandemic through. Uh, it's important not to get fixated on any one metric and to try to take a, a holistic view of what's going on. Like each piece of information is essentially like a piece to a puzzle. Um, you know, you have to know where does it fit? What is the right context? Um, what if infections are going up, but it's entirely uh, confined to like, let's say one or two small communities or a handful of like, let's say nursing homes, um, you know, then, you know, you wouldn't just jump to, you know, wide lockdown measures for, uh, for an entire community. Um, so it is important to understand the context of where these infections are coming from and what they're leading to. But one thing that I feel kind of often gets uh, lost in, in the mix, uh, at least uh, amongst the you know, conversations that um, I've been seeing happening with people in the public, is that you know, deaths and, ho- and hospitalizations are not the only concerns, right? We're seeing, for example, with SARS 15 years later, uh, that SARS patients who ostensibly fully recovered are now at much higher risk of, uh, of a number of severe medical um, events. And, you know, uh, COVID-19 being in the same family of coronaviruses, we might end up seeing that same thing happening in 15 years from now. Um, so, you know, we really should be treating every infection as, you know, a potentially serious, unknown future health event um, that would cause a big drain on our system, you know, sometime in the future. So we, we shouldn't be too too flippant about people who become infected but don't technically die or end up on a ventilator. You're with Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. I'm Jane for Libby. She returns on Monday. And joining me are Dr. Deanne Olliman, professor at the University of Toronto, expert on pandemic modeling, as well as Dr. Barry Pakes, professor at the University of Toronto's Dallas-Atlanta School of Public Health. I want to take a phone call. Uh, Tom in Oshawa, go ahead. How would you, yes, what would you I'd like to contribute? Like to- I say a couple of things. One is we might be getting more cases pertaining to we're testing more now. And the other one is we are responsible for the spread of COVID-19, meaning the public. And the government cannot legislate against stupidity. So it is up to us to be smart and do the correct things because you take a look at the age group, what? The highest point right now is the 40 age group, and we should know better. We don't take it lightly, or we shouldn't be taking it lightly. So that's it. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for that. And I will get the doctor's reaction to your comments. Um, and Dr. Peggs, you were speaking to this a little bit earlier about uh, our ability as individuals now to to know how to act versus back in the spring. And that's essentially what Tom is saying. Absolutely. You know, there, there's there's always in public health the two elements here. It's just individual behaviors, but also governments and other organizations, and that includes you know, um, corporations, <laughs> making it easier for us to do the right thing. Um, and and that's, that's really critical here. And, you know, I don't want to put all the blame on young people because I think, you know, there's certainly backyard parties and things like that over the summer. But, but there's also the fact that, you know, the workforce, in, you know, that gathers together, is, is a, a big part of this as well. And that's where some of the cases are coming from. And those numbers um, are, those numbers are changing as well. The percentage of under 40 is not as high today as it was a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. It, it depends a lot on who's getting tested. And that 700 number was after a, a weekend and, you know, the backlog, uh, was worked through there. I, I want to just comment and actually help your listeners understand a little bit more about how decisions are being made. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. So when the, when medical offices of health, um, you know, take a look at the outbreaks in their communities. Over the summer, 
you know, we had a couple of, of uh, outbreaks that were related to backyard parties and social gatherings that moved to other places. And health units sort of actually put out graphics to show people, you know, this is how it transmits. And that's how those decisions around, you know, decreasing the numbers were made. And in workplaces, you know, we were finding over the summer and actually over the spring, you know what, in, when people are actually doing their job, when they're on the line, when they're, when they're manufacturing, you know, they're wearing all their PPE and, and things aren't transmitted, the disease is not transmitting there. But when they go and change or they're in the lunchroom, that's where things are, are, are uh, transmitting and that's where people are taking off their masks. And so sort of we made some, you know, new advice with respect to that. So, you know, sometimes these numbers are important, but a lot of the time it's about the, the data that comes from the local public health units who are on the ground looking at, at outbreaks and looking at transmission that can provide some insights on some really targeted things we need to do. Um, and we want to do those targeted things and not go for a wholesale lockdown. So, you know, it, it's important to share this information with the public and, and potentially to have metrics to hold our government accountable. I 100% agree with that. But some of the measures we're taking, it, it, you know, it is um, locally driven and it's driven by, you know, these conversations at the table where we're talking about the things that we see because there aren't really data systems. To, to gather that kind of anecdotal stuff, put it together and make policy. Dr. Pakes, uh, and well, both of you, uh, Dr. Alleman, you both obviously have a lot of faith around those who are advising the premier based on your comments. But what do you make of the OHA warning on Monday, for example, and also Dr. Michael Warner uh, here in Toronto at the um, at the East York Hospital, both saying that we should be shutting down parts of our economy again. How do you react to that, Dr. Pakes? Absolutely. I understand where they're coming from. You know, if I'm an ICU doctor and the last thing I want to see is an ICU full of people sick and dying, or I'm the Ontario Hospital Association, and none of us in the in the public, but certainly those individuals, don't want to see more cases going into, um, going into hospital. Um, and, and, but of course, you know, whether it's government or public health, um, we recognize also, you know, it's not only about the hospital, but as many people have pointed out, it's about the mental health of the population. You know, there's no question it would be, um, there would be less transmission if we closed workplaces and closed schools for that matter. But we, we sort of make these decisions with a number of, of factors, uh, in play. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about hearing everybody's perspective. And a lot of the time acting on it uh, or acting on elements of it, but appreciating how dynamic and challenging this whole uh, pandemic is. OK, we need to wrap up shortly. I do have a question for Dr. Alleman in a second, but Daryl in Toronto wants to get in on the conversation. Daryl, go ahead. Hi there. Um, I kind of think I disagree with the idea of, of, of the waves and stuff like that. If, I mean, if you want that analogy and you're standing on the beach and a, and a wave comes in to hit you, so to mitigate the effects of it and not drown, you close your mouth and plug your nose. But in the middle of that, you stop doing it and you're hit by it. And it's not like we've, you know, defeated the first wave. This is a socially transmitted disease. And we, you know, for this, instead of we started off sacrificing our social activities and then we got tired of that and stopped doing it. And it's hitting us again until another force comes in, such as, let's say, the flu coming up that season. I don't think that we've defeated any first wave and are into a second one at this point. Daryl, thank you. We just our, uh, our measures and we're paying for it. Thank you, Daryl. Uh, to Daryl's point, uh, Dr. Alleman, what do you think about that? Should we even use this definition of first wave and second wave? 
Well, <clears throat> this idea of, you know, waves is, uh, is kind of a standard uh, terminology in, in the epidemiological world. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like all metaphors, it's not 100% perfect. Uh, but Daryl is right that, uh, that it does seem like, uh, you know, we kind of got tired of, you know, closing our eyes and plugging our noses uh, as this, you know, wave, uh, you know, seemed to be, you know, totally beyond us, the first wave. And uh, we relaxed our guard uh, too much uh, in hindsight. And uh, now here we are not fully prepared for the second wave. Now, obviously, you know, we can't hold our breath forever. And uh, it does make sense that uh, when infections were really very low, um, like, you know, um, for a few weeks, uh, mostly under 100 for the province and uh, around 20 for, uh, for the greater Toronto area, then, yeah, it does make sense to start opening things back up. But you don't necessarily just open your eyes, open your mouth, open your nose, take off your life vest and just, you know, let the whole thing just, uh, you know, sweep you by. You know, you should go little by little. And I think the fact that the province has a, a three-phase reopening plan implies that lots of stuff is being reopened from one phase to another. So when we relax from phase two to phase three, so much is being reopened, it's hard to really pinpoint exactly which one of the things that was reopened um, is primarily um, or at least largely um, contributing to the increase in cases. So then that, that combined with the fact that uh, so many of the cases that, uh, that we're seeing now have no known epidemiological link, meaning we don't know where these cases came from, makes it hard to then go backwards and apply more, you know, surgical uh, restrictions like, let's say, closing down bars or restaurants or making them even more uh, restricted than before or, you know, going back to, say, stopping weddings or, you know, anything like that. Like, it's hard to know, you know, was any one of these things really predominantly more um, dangerous than, than others in hindsight because so much was opened up. And since we don't know how a lot of people are getting infected, then, you know, there there is a lot of credence to uh, to the push for larger economic um, restrictions now. Dr. Alleman, since you are an expert on pandemic modeling, my final question here to you, what is your forecast for this virus? Well, you know, ultimately, it's really hard to know because uh, I think uh, the first caller who called in um, since I joined, um, you kind of hit, hit it on the head. Like, it all comes down to personal accountability. Like, if literally everybody in the province decides to start wearing a mask properly um, every time they're outside or, you know, within uh, within eyeshot of another person, um, then, you know, this whole thing could very quickly die down to very small, very manageable numbers. On the other hand, if people continue to go to restaurants, because they're open, um, have indoor weddings because they're allowed, because they're at, uh, you know, so-called staffed uh, events, then uh, then things can things might stay out of control. You know, I mean, we, we need rules and policies in place, uh, you know, for the same reason why we have uh, rules against, you know, driving while under the influence, right? Everybody knows you're not supposed to do it, but some people are careless or, reckless. And, uh, and it's those sorts of people that these rules are in place for. And if there's enough of them in a pandemic, then things can really take off like we're seeing now. I want to thank you both for your expert and engaged opinions. Uh, it's been an enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Be safe out there. Yes. Thank you both. Dr. Dion Alleman, professor at the University of Toronto, expert on pandemic modeling, and Dr. Barry Pakes, professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.